This is episode number 227 of the Well-Fed Women podcast. You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Hello and welcome back to the show. I am Noelle Tarr. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and I'm a certified personal trainer and I'm your host and I'm so excited that you are here with me today because I am here with a real life friend on the podcast who I have been leaning on the last few months quite a bit and I'm excited to share her with all of you and to provide you all with the resources hopefully that you need to recover from and manage chronic illness. Jen is well known for being very open and honest and authentic about her own experiences. She has done a lot and has worked through a lot mentally and emotionally and physically. And I think that she's just going to be a wealth of knowledge for all of us because we all have whether we all have really trying things that we're going through, whether that's physical, mental or emotional. And she really does have a lot of insight on all of that. And how to manage life when sometimes life feels like life is happening to you and you don't know how to how to process through it. So I want to quickly thank our sponsor, Fabletics. Go to fabletics.com slash wellfedwomen. You'll get two pair of leggings for $24 when you join the VIP program. Now, the VIP program is sort of like a monthly subscription where you get access to discounts and all of the clothing that you'll find on Fabletics is affordable. They've got leggings, sports bras, they have tops, they have jackets. Everything that I have used and worn has been incredible quality. And one of the things that I think sets them apart is how the stuff fits and performs because performance is important when we're talking about athletic gear. Nothing fits weird. I've never had a problem with the seam. It doesn't show sweat marks. It fits right and it fits well. And that is something that we can all appreciate. <laughs> can I can I get an amen? So uh, definitely give them a try. And if you need help, feel free to reach out to me. You can uh, email me or DM me and I will hopefully help guide you, make some good recommendations based on what you're doing and or the fit that you like because they have do have all different types of clothing that fit in a variety of ways to appeal to a variety of people. So there you go. Customized uh, clothing and fits. So Go to fabletics.com slash wellfedwomen, and I uh, hope you find some good stuff. Let's dive right in because Jen is awesome, and we've got a lot of good things and questions to cover. Jennifer Robbins turned to Whole Foods following a life-altering health crisis and no help from traditional treatments. Her challenge resulted in finding creative ways to combine real ingredients to taste like old favorites. Her website is predominantlypaleo.com. She's also on Instagram and shares a lot on there. And she owns her own business called Legit Bread, which is a phenomenal company. We'll get into that. Her own <laughs> This is in addition to managing all of Predominantly Paleo. She also owns Legit Bread and produces products. So we'll, I'm sure we'll be jumping into all of that. And then she has like eight different books because she is an overachiever. She has Affordable Paleo Cooking with Your Instapot, the book that I have and I love. She also has a Paleo Kids Cookbook. She has the new Yiddish Kitchen book. She has Down South Paleo. We'll be dropping hints to all of those books in the episode. Welcome, Jen. Well, thank you. What a glowing intro. You make me out to sound much more exciting than I am, but but thank you for having me on. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited because um we've only recently become more close and and talking more and I think that that was totally god because I needed somebody to lean on and somebody to have some um support from with a lot of the chronic illnesses that I'm experiencing in my family and also just personally like chronic pain. And, um, you know, I think we can't underestimate how important it is to have people who are going through the same thing and or have been. And so I I just I think your story is going to resonate with a lot of people. And it's also going to be an encouragement because, as you know, and I, I want to dive into your story, of course, but as you know, it, this can be really, really lonely 
and it can get really draining mentally and emotionally when you are yes. struggling with health issues that you don't you don't have a diagnosis for or you just don't understand. So I want to first talk about um, your personal experience with chronic illness mm-hmm. because your story includes a long spiral downward downward. And being diagnosed with over 20 different illnesses by various doctors, and you spent an enormous amount of time trying to figure out the root cause of your chronic illness. So can you, I think, I know this happened somewhere in your 20s. Can you kind of talk about what what life was like before, and what were some of the signs, and ultimately what happened to kind of initiate that downward spiral? Sure. So I would say for the first 25 years of my life, I actually was in pristine health or what I consider to be pristine health. I didn't have anything chronic. I didn't have allergies. I didn't have anything that sent my mom running to the pediatrician regularly um, other than, you know, the occasional bout with strep throat or, you know, some communicable gross child (laughs) virus. Uh, I was in pretty good shape. And so um, I would say, though, personality wise, I've always been a little intense, a little type A, um, a little achievement oriented. And so I have always put pressure on myself to uh, go the extra mile. And I know that down the line that can affect overall health, which is not um, not to say that I am responsible for what happened to me in that way, but it is worth acknowledging because um, I do think sometimes that intensity starts getting translated by the brain in different ways, and then you know things happen. So in my mid twenties, I met my now husband, and we I was in a really stressful job, which. I actually would say at this point that there was some kind of abuse going on with the way that my bosses treated me, but I handled it fairly well overall. Um, You know, I went to work every day. Then I met my husband, which was a very exciting time. He's active duty military. So began the whirlwind of change and adaptation and me leaving Texas for the first time in my entire life to go live overseas in Germany. And it was a lot of different types of um, stresses than I had previously had in my life. And so at that time, I started having panic attacks. And um, I knew that there was like some panic and anxiety in my family. For me, it was always just being type A and channeling that level of intensity into my work. Um, But at that point, I, I felt like things were really kind of coming unraveled quickly. So after the panic kind of settled, we we moved to Germany. I went back to grad school. I worked full time and ended up getting pregnant with my son over there. Health was stable again. Um, when we got back to the state, so we were there for two years, I had two babies back to back. So in less than a year, I birthed my first two kids. And by the time the newest baby was five months, which meant that my first child was uh, just barely over a year, uh, my husband deployed for five months. So in we, you know, had these additional stresses again, having the two babies back to back, having my husband leave for five months. And I, right before he left, I was really feeling like something is not right. And I, and that's when I got my first diagnosis of Hashimoto's. I was just so exhausted. I was lightheaded. My fuse was very short. And, you know, a lot of those things can be attributed to being a stressed out mom, but it felt like so much more physical than just feeling overwhelmed. So I was able to push off medication. I really did not like the idea of having to be on a medication for the rest of my life. So I was able to push that off for a year by changing diet and um, going gluten-free and trying to avoid inflammatory foods, although I was really stubborn about dairy. (laughs) Man, it sure is hard, but um, I did end up going on a thyroid script after that. And what happened then was more stability, which was great. But after the birth of my third child and another move, another military move, um, I 
crashed. I had my first like big crash where I just was not functioning. I had some really scary symptoms. What were those symptoms? What, what, so like, what was like you said in the beginning, you didn't feel right. And I feel like sometimes like, especially with thyroid issues, Mm -hmm. it's really hard to pinpoint what you're feeling, but it's really important. Like, I just don't feel right. You know? So what, maybe what was initially like the things that you weren't feeling like, like, that you weren't feeling, that you were feeling, um, that was not right. And then what were some of, what was that big crash like for you? What were some of those symptoms? So I'd say like the earlier symptoms were more subtle, like fatigue or waking up and feeling like, did I sleep last night, even though I had slept, you know, like a rock, um, and just feeling like kind of spacey or like my brain wasn't firing on all cylinders, moody, you know, up and down the the swings of just feeling like you wanted to snap at your kids when maybe they weren't doing anything to even warrant that. As we got into the bigger crash, um, my nervous system was really overstimulated. I remember, you know, things like walking into a crowded area where it wasn't even like a, a social situation. It wasn't like social anxiety. It was literally my nervous system feeling really on edge and like overstimulated by sound and movement and light. And then the scarier symptoms were um, like brain swelling where I would feel like it wasn't pain because I had, I had migraines too. And I've always been a quote headache person, but where I would feel my brain like pushing against the sides of my skull was the best way that I could describe it, which when that would happen, when that neuroinflammation happened, I was super disoriented and didn't feel like I could drive and just was not, you know, it was, it was like brain fog to the nth degree. And so lots of heart palpitations, um, having some physical weakness, uh, there were just, it, it was like, I would write down my symptoms and they would just fill pages because it was so extensive. And so um, that's when we were in DC and I went to lots of great, great doctors who were, you know, testing me for everything under the sun. Most of them were integrative. I found that like just seeing an endocrinologist at that point was not what I, I needed somebody to really dive deeper and do some other testing. So we did nutritional testing and we, they tested for Lyme disease and co-infections and mycoplasma and other bacterial and viral infections that can become chronic when your body um, is super stressed or under attack. And so the thing is that I came back positive for like almost everything they tested for. So all those childhood viruses that are supposed to be dormant, you know, those had really high um, IgM and IgG titers. So my body was producing antibodies with a lot of different infections. And I think that, you know, that's where it starts getting confusing. Like, well, what are, what are we treating here if the entire body is under attack and being infected or reinfected? Um, I did not come back CDC positive for Lyme, but I was treated clinically for Lyme because I did have some antibody bands come back on, on the Western blot. Um, I did blood smears. I did, I mean, like muscle tests, you just, you name it. And there was a good chance that I was tested for it. So at that point, you know, I, I went down the Lyme rabbit hole for quite a while and, you know, that was kind of when it became, I don't want to say trendy, it's not trendy, but it became a trending uh, diagnosis to pursue because it was finally getting some attention. But to be honest with you, I don't know that I have Lyme any more than my next door neighbor has Lyme or his next door neighbor, his next door neighbor. I think that Lyme is one of those things that has probably been passed down for a lot of generations, um, maybe passed you know, through intercourse from mother to child. I think it's, you know, we're at a point where I don't want to say it's just another infection, but like Epstein-Barr can cause a lot of overlapping symptoms. And that's a childhood disease that 95% of the population carries. And I am of the opinion that a lot of these other infections are as well. So I took 
hardcore antibiotics for Lyme and Babesia and Bartonella and you name it. I took anti-fungals, antimicrobials. Um, I treated all of it and nothing happened in the way of progress. And so um, at the 13 month mark of, you know, just treating so aggressively, uh, I went off antibiotics and around that time we also moved, which I think is important to note. Um, I started getting better. I was really focusing then on how can nutrition help me. And it's also around the time that I started my blog kind of secretly. I mean, it wasn't a secret. I just didn't know that people like blogged for any purpose other than to like chronicle things online. So I wasn't doing it in the public space, but as my, as I took a different turn with how I wanted to treat my health, I also noticed, um, that I was getting better without antibiotics. And I don't think that the antibiotics ever really did. You know, some people really notice like, wow, I, I'm feeling better. Um, I'm feeling better by taking this medication and it's really helping my symptoms and, uh, for me, that was just not the case. Never one. I felt more toxic than ever when I took antibiotics. So for me, it was just not the answer. And I was taking a, a medicine cabinet full of supplements too. So I don't even want to say like, I was just pumping antibiotics. I mean, I was doing it all, but we also discovered mold in the house where we were living that I had that big crash. So I think there were a lot of overlapping situations at once. Um, and all of them have to be considered. So that's the thing with chronic illness in this day and age is that I don't think you can usually just point your finger at one thing and say, um, you know, this is it. This is, this is, this is the reason that it happened. This is the only thing that we have to worry about. Um, it's kind of like, you know, Charlotte Gerson who does the, all the juicing and cancer, anti-cancer diet, whether or not you agree with her protocol, she says, when you heal one disease in the body, you begin to heal them all basically. And I'm paraphrasing, that's not exactly her quote, but I feel like that's kind of what happens is if you start to pull the body out of that ditch, you know, everything kind of starts to heal together. Um, it doesn't mean that you won't have residual symptoms or that there's not going to be more progress to be made as time goes on. But I do think that as the body heals, it wants to heal everything. It, it doesn't typically leave, you know, okay, we're, we're going to treat Epstein-Barr, but, you know, Lyme is here to stay or whatever. It, I think sometimes there's different chapters in your healing and different times you have to focus on different things. But ultimately, as the body gets stronger, multiple systems in the body also get stronger at the same time. Mm, that is super insightful because I know I and this is some of the stuff that we we have been talking about where you know the common phrase is knowledge is power and I do believe that but what you helped me see and I think what's a big part of your story is knowledge is helpful but it can also be paralyzing and in the case of oh well okay we think you have Lyme's disease, let's treat, 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 treat that. And then, oh, well, we also have Epstein-Barr, so now we really need to treat that. You know, what I hear you saying and what you've kind of said in your own story is, look, we could have not treated that and I could have still gotten better um, by balancing other things in the body and not taking this approach where I'm doing, you know, heavy antibiotics or, you know, I and, and I think we we want to find that one thing that is to blame, right? And so, and, and so, treat treatment is a little bit of a of a hope for us, um, but but it's actually like like you said, a variety of things all playing into causing and triggering chronic disease, um, and that's not easy. That's really really confusing. So before, like, I want to jump into the knowledge. Maybe is not power thing first. Um, do you <laughs> do you feel like now looking back um do you feel like you would have maybe taken a completely different 
route for treatments or are you just sort of like, hey, this is all led to where I am right now and the knowledge that I have now is helping me manage my illness or is what, you know, would you have done some things differently? So I think... I know that's a hard question, I, sorry. <laughs> it, it, no, I mean, it's a good question though. I think that um, I try to be a person in general who doesn't live with regrets because why, I mean, how, how do regrets really help you? I would rather look at everything as a lesson and say like, okay, so knowing what I know now, I won't do that again. You know, um, it's like sometimes even as adults, we learn like children where you make the mistake or you make the, you know, the, the choice. And then you learn later that that's not a choice that you would make again, but you had to have made it the first time around to know that it's not good for you or that it doesn't work for you. So would I take antibiotics now in that capacity? Uh, no, absolutely not. Uh, mostly because I know more about, you know, how they affect gut health and that they, there's, there's a cascade of events that can come from that. Do I think that antibiotics are bad? No, I mean, they save lives and they are really incredible. I think there are a lot of incredible pharmaceuticals that are here for us when we need them, um, but also should be taken seriously. So, yeah, I mean, I look at everything as like, okay, now that I know that, here's how I can proceed. Now that I know more about mold, I was also able to recognize it in our current house um, and realize like, oh, this is why I'm struggling so badly here or one of the reasons. So, and that's the other thing with chronic illness too. I don't, I think there is such a thing as remission where you can feel back to your, you know, your normal self or your baseline self. But I don't, I think once you've had chronic illness, it kind of, I mean, this, I don't mean this to sound negative, but it, it might always be on your radar. It might always be something that you have to revisit in terms of how you are, you know, providing your body with the most support possible. So if you have had this, you know, complex history with health and then you start to eat fast food and not get enough sleep and drink alcohol every night and, you know, then I think you can expect to revisit some of those symptoms. Or even if you don't have bad habits, um, there are going to be certain life events that might pull you down more easily than somebody who has not dealt with chronic illness before. So I know that my, um, my body is, can be more sensitive to the effects of stress, can be more sensitive to the effects of mold, and that's on a, on a genetic basis based on testing that I've had. And that's also on the basis of I'm, I am this person. I'm this person who now has a history with chronic illness. And so I have to be more careful about some things that, you know, that you, I think people a lot of times with, with chronic stuff look around and they see people who literally do not do a single thing for their health. And those people are like high functioning and, you know, doing stuff. I mean, maybe they don't feel optimal, but I know that I've done it a bunch where I'm like, how, how is this person like doing so well? And then I am eating the cleanest of the clean and I still have all these things. And, you know, I mean, of course, comparison is dangerous anyway, but it is like, it's also mind blowing that some people just don't have the same consequences. Um, they might have different consequences later on. I mean, who's to say, or they might have consequences that we don't see, but you know, I I've been in a point where I'm trapped in my house and I'm looking at people waking up and just going to work every day thinking, how do they do that? I mean, which is crazy coming from a person who, worked full time, went to college, you know, I worked from the time that I was 16 or younger. Uh, I mean, it's not like, like I was the person who went to work, but to become a person who then like looks outside the kitchen window wondering how are all these people driving cars and like functioning and, you know, is, 
it's wild to get to that place, you know, that super dark, crazy place with your health. But it also sometimes means that you have to be cognizant of going back to that place, you know, that it's, it becomes more of a possibility once you've already been there, unfortunately. Um, but in, in a blessing sort of perspective, you also know like, Hey, I have to be careful. I have to, I, I, I do want to feed my body the best things possible. I do want to try to manage stress. I do want to be more cognizant of my surroundings so that if I pick up on something not being quite right, I can, you know, look into that further. I can, um, I can test my house to see if it's safe for me or my workplace or whatever it is. So, you know, we, people with chronic illness are, um, we are the canaries in the coal mine, which is not always the gift that you want to be given, but I do think that it helps us look out for, you know, potential dangers that can help protect our families, um, so that they don't have to get to that point. What was the catalyst for you? What were the big things that you felt made the most significant impact for you in your health, in improving your health and getting you out of that deep hole? And then on the flip side of that, what are the biggest triggers now that put you down in the place of, and you may not even, you know, it's still confusing, right? It's still something that we're, you know, you are trying to figure out, I know personally, but I am too. What are, what are those triggers now as you manage the illness that sort of kick you and put you back in bed and into that dark place? So the things that helped me get out originally, I do think nutrition played a huge role and also feeling inspired, um, which, you know, people talk about positive thinking and mindset and stuff like that. Positive thinking and mindset are really easy to do when you are feeling good all the time. <laughs> they are not easy to do <laughs> when you are stuck in bed with chronic pain and heart palpitations and feeling like you've been poisoned. So, um, you know, people talk about mindset, like, Oh, just do some yoga and some mindset. And I'm like, Oh, can we rewind? Like, uh, you know, not to like compare stories, but like people who are not super sick, don't totally understand like how the psychological effects of being that sick for that long. So I would say feeling inspired when I started blogging and it gave me like this outlet and this hobby and this, you know, place to put my energy so you can redirect some of the, the bad juju and put it into something that's good and helpful. And especially, you know, then when it became something that went more public and I saw that there were people I, I, I was helping, you know, like that was a huge inspiration to me. Like, oh my gosh, you mean I can use this negative life experience to help other people in some positive way? And so like that was really big. That helped my mindset shift because I actually could redirect some of that energy. And then, you know, of course, focus on nutrition. But to be honest, like if you, if all you did was change your food, I don't think it's going to get you to where you want. And I mean, this is coming from a, a paleo blogger, you know, for, from somebody who talks about the importance of food and nutrition and, you know, getting in proper minerals and whatever. But at the same time, like just changing diet when you have been in the literal depths of hell with your health, that's not, that's not the end all be all. There are a lot of things that go into it, but I do think that feeling like you have purpose and reason and there's something, and, and this goes beyond just being a parent or a spouse or, you know, whatever role you play, that's not necessarily enough. Um, I had three kids. I loved them very much. I felt like I was, you know, not the mother that I wanted to be, um, because I was not able to do very many things. I didn't leave the house. I didn't leave bed for periods of time. Um, so yeah, I think though that when I had a, a place to, to 
transition that energy from negative and sad and depressing into something positive and fruitful and rewarding, that really helped. Um, As far as spiraling back down, which uh, is, is, you know, something that I think can easily happen um, if you're not careful, I know that stress for me is truly just, it it is toxic. And some people do a really good job naturally at defending their bodies against stress. And I historically have not been one of those people. So, um, you know, some people, they start getting stressed at work and they're like, I just got to go for a run and they can go for a run and feel like a new person. I, that's not typically how I have handled stress. So for me, it becomes more bottled. Um, and without an outlet that starts to really eat at you alive, you know, not necessarily overnight, but I can tell. So where, where we are now, this assignment is, a we will be here for less than two years total. Um, it's been a really hard assignment. It's been an isolating assignment. I haven't had community, Um, my husband has worked 16 hour days consistently. I've been alone with the kids a lot. The winter was really long. You know, there were all these things that sort of added up during the second year of being here. Um, and those stresses coupled with the fact that we did find mold in this house sent me spiraling again. And so recognizing that, um, I have to be, I have to really like start doing some really proactive things to try to dig out because sometimes like we're not totally in control. I mean, we like to think that we are, and we like to think that, oh, all I have to do is X, Y, Z and I reverse this situation. But truly when your body is in a place of intense suffering it, it's a long process and it's not simple and it's not just like, okay, I'm going to drink my bone broth and go for a walk and, you know, do some downward dog and I'm good, you know, for, for simple situations of stress or illness, those can be very helpful when you are truly in a bad toxic place, both emotionally and physically, it takes a lot of digging. And so Um, here I have had to really, I mean, meditate, I'm talking three to four times a day, short ones, because sometimes I don't have the, the cognition to really hone in and focus. So I just do as many short ones. And then as soon as the sun's out, I'm sitting in the sun, I'm like trying to absorb the rays and all of the health benefits, you know, little things like that, um, can help, but also feeling connected to people, um, feeling like you can ask for help. So that's another area of weakness that I have is because I'm type A and have always been, you know, uh, someone that I try to perceive as being strong and, and able-bodied and, um, things like that. i don't ask for help. And it's gotten me in a lot of trouble because as I'm trying to be this, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of girl, I can get sicker faster. And so I actually just, um, I just asked for help for like the first time ever. (laughs) I asked my mom to come help me. I said, I can't, I can't do this right now. You know, like I'm so overwhelmed with getting ready to move. And my husband leaving for a month and, um, having been sick again in this house and having to prepare for the movers and all of this stuff, you know, cause we're just a few weeks out. I, I just said, I, I, I need help. I need help. And I can't do this alone. And that was hard because I felt like it made, you know, I know this isn't true, but you know, th- what's the quote about the, um, the lies we tell ourselves, you know, about, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but like our greatest suffering comes from the lies we tell ourselves. Um, and so, and it's true. So when I ask for help, I feel like I'm 
I'm sending the message that I'm a failure and I can't do it, that I can't do it on my own. But I would tell a friend, you need help right now. Your body needs to rest. Your body's asking you to, you know, allow it to rest. And yet I, I don't listen to the same, um, the same advice. So, (laughs) so that's that, you know, um, but I do think that you really, it's so important to, um, to acknowledge when you need to take a step back and realize that nobody has to do this alone. And when we become more isolated, it's much easier to feel the suffering than when we are surrounded by people who care about us. So, you know, that, that connection is super important and I'm seeing that more than ever now. Yeah. Even I think, especially being a mom, you realize how important that is because you're responsible for other humans. And what you're not, what you haven't even said is like, you're taking care of three other children at three children at the same time who are, which we were just discussing becoming adults. Like you're managing three adults in your house on top of yourself and your husband and this move and, and, you know, mold and all these situations. And so what I hear you saying and and what I think is a very common theme as of late with a lot of people that I've been interviewing is, yes, food is important and sunshine is important and meditation is important and the, all of those things work together. But it's also the mental and emotional support and getting support from the community and making sure that you can be in a place where you are mentally and emotionally stable or healthy or able to work on this illness that is what makes the biggest difference. And I just, I feel like that's so undervalued, right? And I think we, it's really easy to undervalue it and say, no, I've got this. I can do it. I can figure it out. And it's not always easy to ask for help. It's not fun to inconvenience. When you think you're inconveniencing somebody, it almost is like, no, 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 that's just going to add too much stress to my life. I, it's just going to stress me out. I don't want to inconvenience you. I don't want to inconvenience somebody or I don't want to have to go through all that. I don't want to have to go through finding somebody to help. I don't want to ask, like, even, you know, me personally as a mom and going through this whole, you understand completely, two under two is going to be a lot. And I have a couple people who have been very forceful in providing support, which is what I what I need. Because I, and, and I'm realizing, wow, it's a lot easier to do things <laughs> when you have people helping you versus not. And so at some point we do have to just say, look, I, <laughs> what am I doing if I'm just denying, you know, the, the very real fact that I've got to get help from people, whether that's bringing a meal or helping me, listening to me mentally and emotionally or helping me with my kids or helping me with this move. Like it is so vital to our health and to our well-being. And what are we trying to prove too? What are we trying to prove by saying I can do it all? My-? This is not historically how people operated. And I just read a really good article um, about, you know, the, the power in the village and how, like, now we talk about self-care, self-care. And I went on a rant the other day, which I won't revisit, but I don't, I think self-care is a buzzword that is really meaningless in a lot of ways. Um, when you're talking about self-care in the way of a pedicure and a massage and a night out with the girls. And I'm like, that is not self-care to me. Self-care to me is like, I've got to get out of bed today. I've got to keep breathing. (laughs) I've got to like make it to the end of this day, you know? And so it was talking, the article though was talking about how the reason that there's this huge focus on this, you know, this concept of self-care is that we don't have villages anymore. You know, we don't have that community sense where like there are other moms who step in and say, let me take the baby or let me take your kids to the water park or whatever, you know, because we all, as, as parents, we all have different phases of feeling like, you know, I'm empowered. I got this send all the neighborhood kids to my house and give the other moms a break. And then we have, you know, the, the slumps where we're like, oh my gosh, I, I can't, I can't do this today. I can't do this, you know? And so 
when we work in community with others, um, and it doesn't mean that you have to even be a parent. I'm just saying in general, when you work in community with others, then we feed off of, you know, like we, we can help others when they're in a slump and we can, um, and we can help, we could take advantage, not in a negative way of others help when we're in a slump. And we don't really do that so much anymore because there's this, very weird societal norm of, you know, I got this and, um, and the feeling of guilt over guilt and shame over everything, you know? So asking for help makes you feel guilty and it makes you feel shameful because you shouldn't need to ask for help because you should be able to handle the life that you've created for yourself. Well, there's more stress in today's society than ever, ever before. And so it's ridiculous to think that, we have more stress than ever yet we're expected to do everything on our own now. Like that's, those are, those are opposites, right? If we have more stress than ever, then we have to work with our community more to feel like we're in balance and that we have support and, and feeling in isolation, you know, they've done studies about, um, the, the health, the adverse health effects of being in isolation. And it's like, higher than, you know, smoking a pack of cigarettes a day or, you know, the, these other risk factors that you, that we consider to be really detrimental and dangerous and like, oh no, I wouldn't do that, you know, but that's what we're doing when we pretend that we can do everything alone and that we're placing ourselves into isolation, trying to do it alone is we're actually creating health risk factors for ourselves without even realizing how detrimental it can be. Yeah. Like, Taking a step back, it's like, where does that actually get us? <laughs> What's this? How am I benefiting from this by trying to do it not. all alone? You're not. You're not. And unfortunately, it's the opposite. This podcast is brought to you by the Nutritional Therapy Association, an organization that has been training and certifying nutritional therapy practitioners and nutritional therapy consultants in foundational holistic nutrition for over 15 years. Go to nutritionaltherapy.com to learn more about the program's which empower graduates with the education and skills they need to launch successful, fulfilling careers in holistic nutrition. I'm personally an NTP, and the nine-month program was instrumental in helping establish my own career in health and wellness. Go to nutritionaltherapy.com to learn more about each program and sign up for the classes, which start in May or September of this year. If you do, be sure to put down Well-Fed Women as your referral, and you'll get a free copy of Coconuts and Kettlebells sent to you by me. That's nutritionaltherapy.com. Um, speaking of, the first question from Instagram that I think is really nice to segue into is, how do you manage other people who don't understand that you look normal, but are really struggling and deal with constant fatigue all the time. Have you struggled? I'd be very interested to know, have you struggled with people's perception or judgment, you know, of like, well, why aren't you doing more? Or why are you in bed? And, and you know, how do you deal with that? I do deal with that a lot because I think because I continue to run my businesses and, you know, take care of my kids and people know how busy my husband's schedule is and stuff like that. There is definitely a misconception that I'm handling life when sometimes I am truly not handling life. So something that I always say I do for me personally is every day I wake up, I put on a full face of makeup because it makes me feel better. Because when I have a sick face, it makes me feel sick. So I always try to, you know, get up, get dressed, um, I can't promise hairbrushing cause it's usually in a mom bun, but like I do little things to help me feel normal, even when I'm not feeling normal. But the flip side of that is that people perceive that everything must be fine because I have my mascara on you know, or because I posted pancakes on social media. And so it is hard, but what I've learned over time is um, and, and also because I don't talk a lot about when I'm sick, like I try not to give it extra energy, um, because I don't want that to be my, you know, I want healing to be the focal point, not, um, suffering. So that combination often sends the wrong message to people that like everything's fine. Um, but here's the thing. 
it is not my job to convince other people how sick I am or how well I am or anything in between. I, I won't own that responsibility. People will think what they want. Um, and they will judge if they want. And, you know, it's like how they say what somebody thinks of you. Number one is none of your business. And number two is a reflection of them, not you. So people can think what they want. I don't really try to convince people now, like, don't you want to see the truth of how sick I really am? And sometimes I know we want to feel recognized and, um, and it, and it's invalidated. Yeah. And it's, and it's hard. That's a really slippery slope too, because you don't, you don't want to reinforce the suffering and you do want people to understand when you are in a time of need, but also you, you know, it's so it's, it's tricky. Like, um, I, I really try not to give it a lot of, um, weight or energy, but I also have stopped really caring what other people think because the people who love you understand that, if you say I'm having a really hard day and I can't leave the house, they will just accept that for what it is without having to understand, well, what do you mean? Cause you look, you know, people who are doubting what your words are when you say, I can't do that or, you know, whatever it is, then those aren't your people. So your people will, even if they don't understand, I mean, my husband will never truly understand how I feel cause he's not living in my body. Um, and he is a relatively healthy guy. So other than like having chronic headaches from this house because of the mold, uh, he has been able to go to work every day and like high function. So he's not going to know what it feels like to be in my body. So he's not going to be like, oh my gosh, I know exactly how you feel today. It's terrible. You know, but he knows that if I say, babe, there's no driving or leaving the bed today, he's like, all right, got it. You know, he, he knows what that means. He doesn't know how it feels, but he knows what it, it means. And he also knows that with the type of person I am, I don't make that, I'm not going to make that up. I'm not going to try to say things for sympathy. I'm communicating that message because I'm telling him, guess who's not getting a ride to gymnastics today? <laughs> guess who's not going to girls or whatever it is, you know, um, it's more just a check-in for me to say, here's my situation and here's how we're dealing with it. So I feel like your true people will understand that and they will just take it at face value without questioning, well, what do you mean? Or how, what, how, how does it feel? Or why can't you do X, Y, Z? No, you don't have to understand exactly, you know, all of the details. You just need to trust that if I'm telling you I'm in in a bad place, I'm in a bad place. And everybody else who doesn't care to be there for you in that capacity is just that you got to let them go. I mean, truly, it's so hard to say that, but you got to let people go who, who cannot um, sympathize or empathize or at least say, you know, I'm here for you. The, the other people are really can be detrimental, if anything, because then they've got you in a position where you're constantly trying to prove something or you um, you're you're reinforcing how sick you are to them to try to get the message. across. No, I just there's no time for that. Your energy is much better spent on you trying to heal than it is on convincing others to to get down in the trenches with you. I think uh, one of the biggest struggles for me personally is considering how this impacts my kids. And we had a great question from Tales of a Nutrivore, is, which is, how do you talk to your kids about your health struggles? And I know that I've confided or, you know, we've talked about this a lot, but, you know, this is the one thing, Jen, that gets me and it, it just like... It's what I cry to my husband about, you know, it's, is this going to be my life forever? Am I always going to be in chronic pain? Am I always going to not be able to walk for more than 20 minutes at a time? What's, am I going to be able to take my kids to Disney? You know, it's just like you go down this toxic 
rabbit hole because you all of a sudden are realizing you're not the mom or the wife that you want to be. So how how is it that you talk to your kids about your health struggles now? Because they are they are older and and actually able to see pretty clearly how it affects you. Yeah, which is really hard sometimes. And um, so th- this more recent time, I have had a crash similar, different symptoms, but similar to the big crash. And my kids are seeing it as older kids versus when they were younger kids. And they, you know, it didn't matter if we left the house, they were toddlers. They were like, you know, they were playing with Elmo, whatever. Now it's like they see mom in a different light. And I mean, my middle daughter actually said to me recently, mom, I don't want you to go. And I said, what do you mean? Die? And she said, yeah, I don't want you to die, mom. I want you here with us. I I don't, I don't want, and I said, honey, you don't worry about that. Mom's going to get better because I will. Um, but she's seeing it now as an 11 year old, not a three year old. And that's hard, you know, and, and I do talk to them. I guess there's a fine balance between letting them know how bad and giving them hope that things will be fine. So, you know, sometimes me being laid up and telling them today's not a good day. Um, I don't think I'm going to be able to whatever with you. Maybe we can watch a movie together. So I try to create experiences with them that are still meaningful and connected without promising them that we're going to go to the movies or have an outing or, you know, whatever it is that I can't deliver. I try to just do something, you know, let's have popcorn in bed and watch a movie. And I feel like we're, I'm close with all three of them. And, you know, sometimes it's just, Hey, let's go sit in the sun and, and absorb some vitamin D together. And they, that is an activity, you know, it, I, I talk to them in truth because I want them to be humans who have empathy for others who have shortcomings. And I also want them to understand that I have limitations sometimes. Um, and that if I really honor my body and not push to a point of exhaustion or pain, more pain or whatever, that, you know, I have a better chance of getting, of healing faster than if I push through all this to the point where I'm causing more harm and more stress. And I, they understand that, you know, I, it's hard. It's a hard message to deliver, but I also want them to be people who grow into adults who are compassionate. I mean, I think they are anyway, but life experiences are not always those trips to Disney World. You know, sometimes life experiences are really ugly and hard and there's loss and suffering and pain. And I need them to understand that sometimes they're going to see that ugly side of life and here's how we're going to deal with it. You know, Um, so I'm pretty frank with them. I don't necessarily, you know, I'm not the type of person to talk about all of my symptoms every day and here's what's happening. And I just don't, I don't like to focus so much. I mean, sometimes my husband will say like, what are you feeling right now when he sees me like making a face or, you know, (laughs) whatever. But, um, in general, I'll just say, Hey guys, you know, mom hasn't been doing great lately. So maybe we can, make a plan for this later. And they'll say, okay, you know, they're pretty understanding. Um, when my husband's around, I'll say, maybe Papa can do this activity with you since I'm not feeling up to it. So we, we try to negotiate. I really, I, I don't want them to focus on my illness, but I also want them to understand that it exists and it's something that we may have to deal with you know, um, especially with the continued stress of moving as a military family. I know that flares will happen um, because life is 
inconsistent and it's all over the place and it's messy. And so I want them to, to get that also. Um, I also want them to learn, you know, to manage their own stress. I can see sometimes when they start getting really agitated and really stressed out and I'm like, okay, look, let's like, let's rewind. Let's, you know, because I don't know that I was ever really taught how to come down from that place, you know, uh, when I was a kid and maybe that would have helped. I don't know. Um, so I have them meditate with me and I'll say like, Hey, do you want to go outside and, and, and meditate with me? Or let's just do a five minute or whatever. And so my goal is I'm educating them. I'm hopefully growing, um, you know, humans with empathy and maybe I'm also teaching them some coping mechanisms for stress, which is one of the biggest triggers. So. Yeah, I think you're I think you're teaching them yeah, resiliency through what how you are managing life and kids don't need everything. You know, I think we think that our kid needs to make be at Disney and I need to be taking them everywhere all the time and doing everything and and I need to be serving my kids. And what I hear you saying is sometimes, you know, well, first of all, kids don't need that all the time. Right. And we can you can shift that story into I'm just going to make sure that I'm there for my kids. Uh, one of the things that you posted on Instagram recently, which was adorable, was all your all the kids in your bed reading books because there was a thunderstorm. And so they were just, they were like all piled in your bed, you know, um, reading books, not, not saying, well, mom, can we, can you get me this? Or can I do this? And, or can, you know, where's the iPad? And not, not to say that anything's bad with screen, screen time, but, you know, it was just really a beautiful thing to me to see that your kids are still connected and close to you. You're also creating a little bit of resiliency, teaching them skills, and also they're, they're becoming independent. You know, they're learning that, yeah, they're, some things in life are hard and here's how we cope and deal. And so that has its benefits as well, because I don't think anybody comes out of childhood thinking, well, my life was perfect. You know, like, I mean, we all, all of us struggle, struggled through different things in our, our childhood, whether it was with school or friends or mom has depression or dad is struggling with alcohol or, you know, there, there are things that are that our kids are seeing and dealing with. And so I love that we can turn that into resiliency and, and coping and te- teaching them life lessons and life tools, even at an early age and not expecting like that they're going to be screwed up because we weren't able to take them to Disney every year, you know. This podcast is brought to you by Thrive Market, an online marketplace on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everyone. Thrive Market is like Whole Foods, Amazon Prime, and Costco combined. You can shop for thousands of health foods and natural products, including non-GMO foods, snacks, vitamins, supplements, eco-friendly cleaning supplies, baby and kids items, and so much more at 10 to 50% below retail prices. They can offer these prices because they cut out the middleman and ship products directly to you. They also have their own Thrive Market brand, which offers everything from organic virgin coconut oil to grass-fed collagen peptides, all the way to eco-friendly, chlorine-free disposable diapers, which my daughter wears, by the way, at incredibly affordable prices. To get 25% off your first purchase, head over to thrivemarket.com slash wellfedwomen. That's 25% off on top of the discounts you already get on Thrive Market. Head over to thrivemarket.com slash wellfedwomen. As a final question, which I think is... Um, Really more about, you know, just just personal coping mechanisms. Uh, Marley Fetcher said, I have Hashimoto's. I recently started seeing a functional medicine doctor and got great results. Reduced anxiety, more energy, and weight loss. Two months into the protocol, all of my symptoms have returned. I'm seeing my doc next week to get to the bottom of things, but how do you keep your mindset positive during backslides? And I know we touched on this a little bit before, but I'd kind of like to just circle back and bring it to a close. Um, She says, I find myself panicky and back in the research rabbit hole, which is toxic for me. Yeah, that that is hard. (laughs) Um, So that that is part of riding the wave. Um, And it is a big challenge because when you make steps in the right direction, 
our hope and our feel at the time, you know, we, we've got the endorphins going and we're like, oh my gosh, look, I'm making progress. This is so great. And then one day we wake up and some of those old friends return and we're like, no, 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 no. We've been here. We, we, we over, we overcame that and we don't have time for that. We don't want that anymore. And, and why are they back? And what did I do wrong? And, you know, it's, I mean, a flood of thoughts can happen in an instant when you see symptoms returning. And so I think sometimes we have to, one thing is we need to just stop, you know, just take a pause and understand that healing is not linear and that the backslides are part of moving in a forward direction. We can refocus. Okay. What are my basic needs? Am I meeting them all? Did I go on vacation and not get enough sleep? Is there anything like within my power that I can reel back in and refocus on? Um, is there any place in my life that I can ask for help and reconnect with community? Have I been taking on a lot at work and maybe, you know, I'm more stressed than I realized that I was and wasn't really acknowledging. Um, cause a lot of times I think what happens is when we start feeling better, we want to jump right back into how we were doing life before, which is go, 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 no time for rest, you know, and then we don't understand, well, what just happened? I was fine and now I'm exhausted. And it's like, well, okay, but remember we made these really nice changes that benefited us. And now we're like slipping back into some of our old paths. And again, I want to take away blame when it comes to illness, because in the natural world, so sometimes in the Western world, there's no responsibility when it comes to illness, right? So if you don't take care of yourself, Western medicine can quickly give you a pill to help with that symptom without saying, oh, maybe I have reflux because of something that I mean, or whatever. That's just a very simple example. But in the holistic world, sometimes we shift too far in the opposite direction and we start putting a lot of responsibility on the patient. And then it becomes a thing where like, well, what did you do to cause, the, you know, what habits do you have that led you down this path? And that's detrimental too. So there's somewhere in the middle between none of this is your fault and you can keep having bad habits and just take this medication versus you're here because of something that you did. And if you don't change all of these things, then you're going to stay sick. So if we meet somewhere a little bit more towards the middle, let's take away blame from illness and realize that there are good habits that can help us feel better, but also that a backslide doesn't mean that you screwed up. Um, Cause I've been playing this game for a while and the minute, I mean the minute that I start into a symptomatic period, I go, oh my gosh, what did I eat? What did I do? It, you know, and I start looking for things that I contributed when really maybe it has nothing to do with me. Maybe I, there is an environmental concern that is a trigger. And, and in this house, like I, I've mentioned before, we did find mold and my husband was affected and my youngest daughter was affected. And so for the first time, which is really screwed up, I felt justified and like, oh, look, see, there's an environmental concern. It's not my fault this time. Or, And then I realized, well, this is a really maladaptive way of looking at my health, that everything that happens to me is at, at a fault of my own. No, 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 no. We've got to change that. So I think when you slip, First is to recognize this is part of healing. Healing is not linear. There are some things that we don't even know are happening in our bodies. It could be a hormonal shift. It could be an environmental concern. Um, it could be a big life stress. And we have to stop what we're doing, reassess the situation. Sometimes what you did in the past to help get you on track is not the exact, it doesn't look the exact same as what you need right now. You know, sometimes if, uh, being in community really helps you at, 
at some moments and like really socializing and getting out and being with friends at other times in your healing, it can be solitude and trying to take more time for yourself and trying to do more meditation and trying to like listen to your inner voice and things like that. So I think that, um, part of illness is acceptance. And, um, I have these words that come to mind a lot where a lot of times we feel like we're always in a, in the fight, right? We're, we're fighting for our health. We're fighting for, uh, feeling good. We're fighting for good days. And sometimes we actually have to do the opposite and surrender and just say today is what it is. And, I'm going to sit with that discomfort and be okay with it and accept that there's nothing that I did or could have done or should have done that got me to this place. And so I surrender to this day and I use this opportunity to rest and take care of myself, period. You know, it's complicated and it's always hard emotionally to feel things that you thought were part of your past, that riding that wave and knowing that that is that is the ebb and flow of life, it will get you far because the acceptance and the surrender are just as much a part of healing as the fight. Mm, I love that. Like switching the mindset from I've got to fight this fight to I just need to surrender to it and let it take its course today and, you know, move forward mm-hmm. um, in a different way and tomorrow's a new day. And that's Kind of where, you know, a lot, I think that's after a while, you kind of, you get to that place, which is like, okay, well, tomorrow's a new day because you've kind of experienced it for so many days that you do know tomorrow's a new day and this isn't forever and it ebbs and flows. And so you just kind of, you know, you got to ride that wave. Um, Yeah. So I love that analogy. That was, that was wonderful. I'm going to let you go because I've, we've been, I've stolen a lot of your time and you've dropped a lot of great, great knowledge bombs. And I so appreciate you coming on. Um, I know you have a lot of books. We'll link to all of them in the show notes. The one that, um, is most recent is the, uh, well, it's the Instapot one, right? The paleo. Yeah. Affordable paleo cooking with your Instapot. Mm -hmm. Just want to make sure you hadn't done one since that one came out. Um, I know. No, I think we're done. I think we're done. Okay. It's a great (laughs) book. I use it. Um, made a lot of great soups with my Instapot from that book. We'll link to all of them in the show notes, including down South paleo, the new Yiddish, Yiddish kitchen book. Um, and then also legit bread company, which she has come out with AIP friendly bagels, uh, a, fr- a friendly bagel mix. So we're, re- I'm of course very excited about that. And, um, she does have a paleo kids cookbook too. So we'll definitely link to all of that in the show notes. Where can people find you most frequently? I'm going to guess Instagram. Yes. Instagram, probably that's at predominantly underscore paleo. And then, um, legit bread company is on there as well. Of course, the blog, which could use a few updated posts, but that's predominantlypaleo.com, legitbreadcompany.com, and I think that's mostly it. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, for answering these questions, and you're always around. You're always here. Uh, Follow her for sure so that you can keep up with her and all of the things that she's doing, Um, and... And definitely follow Legit Bread Company. That's I'm excited about all the things that you're doing with that. Okay, that's it from us. That's it from us. For more from me, go to coconutsandcuttleballs.com. And of course, you can buy the book on Amazon right now. Coconut, or you can go to coconutsandcuttleballs.com slash book to buy from other retailers. Uh, thank you guys for being here. Thanks for your support. And I'm excited to uh, have more great interviews and to be on this journey with you and, and hopefully talk to you next week. 